I appreciate um, the kind words this morning as people have asked. Uh, if, if you were not here last week, then you may not be aware, but Tony and Ryan and Cassie and I, well, Ryan's been away for almost a month, um, but the, uh, the rest of us were away um, on a couple weeks, a little short of two weeks, uh, for some, some time of, of vacation. We were up in Tennessee. We left uh, on Monday morning, like I said, almost two weeks ago. Uh, and drove to Nashville and spent four days in Nashville. I had never been to Nashville and um, had a great time there in the, uh, in the city and stayed downtown and, you know, did some of the, the things you do in Nashville, Grand Old Opry, Ryman Center, Country Music Hall of Fame, and then did some other fun stuff there in the, uh, in the city. And then, um, then we drove over to, to Gatlinburg area for a week and we stayed in a cabin up, uh, up in the mountains there and again, had a had wonderful week. It was a fantastic, uh, you know, about 12 days away. And very, very refreshing, very, very much a blessed time to be together. Uh, but we had planned on returning yesterday. The plan was to come back Saturday afternoon. We were checking out of the, or we were leaving the cabin on Friday morning. I think it's about 12 hours, roughly, to, to Gatlinburg. And um, we were driving through the mountains. And so we thought we'd break the trip up and we'd come back in two days. We, were, we stopped in Atlanta, had lunch with a, a good friend of Tony's. And so we thought, well, we're not in any kind of hurry. We'll just kind of make this a nice, easy two-day trip. And, um, but as the week came to an end, and the end of the, the vacation time, and we got ready to, to leave, we, we kind of got that itch, which is, maybe you're familiar with, it's the itch to be home. You know, it, it was a great time away, but sometimes the value of being away, one of the values is you appreciate home. And so we were really ready by the end of, of the, the two weeks to, to come home and to be home. So we just, we just drove all the way on Friday. We came in Friday night about uh, 9 o'clock. And just, it was, it was refreshing, if you will, to walk into the house, to be back to our, to our place and, and that place of, of comfort, familiarity, family, if you will, even though we had been together the whole time. And, and that's kind of what was resonating with me as I started to prepare this message. And that's really the, the heart of, of the sermon title. There's no place like home. And our challenge this morning is to allow God's word and not just the, the teaching of Jesus, but the example of Jesus to stretch us a little bit and to think a little broader on what home means and what that looks like, and, and what God offers and desires for us to not only receive, but also to share and to give. And so we're going to turn to John chapter 12, and I'm really going to focus on the periphery of the story. And what I mean by it's, it's the heart of the story is Jesus' encounter, or Mary's encounter with Jesus, which you'll, you'll hear in just a moment. But I want to kind of stay to the edges a little bit and talk about some of the, the truth that may not be quite as obvious in the, in the story this morning. So, so let's begin John chapter 12, verse 1. Now, let's place this, because it begins the first few words there. It says, six days before the Passover. What you need to know is this is days before Jesus would be arrested, uh, before his last supper, before his eventual arrest, his trial, his crucifixion, and certainly the celebration of Resurrection Sunday, which we call Easter. We are heading into that final week of Jesus' um, ministry leading into those events. So it's important to, to kind of recognize what is going on. 
So six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, who Jesus had raised from the dead. Again, let me pause. Jesus had raised from the dead. If you go one chapter earlier, chapter 11, very beginning of chapter 11, you read that story if you are not familiar with it. And if you're not, let me encourage you to go read it after worship. Um, you can read it during the sermon, I guess. But, um, but to go and familiar, familiar, become familiar, familiarize, there you go, yourself with that story. So Jesus had just been in Bethany, and now he's back again. So he came to Bethany where Jesus lived, whom, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Verse 2. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, characteristic of Martha, Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It is worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As, keep, as keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should, she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Friends and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, we know that your Holy Spirit has anointed your word. And anoint our hearing, our spirits, our ears, our minds, as we invite your presence to, to speak to us. Make us receptive to hear and to be challenged and to move forward in faith in the way of Christ. This is our prayer. Amen. So, I mentioned that we started our vacation uh, in Nashville. And the, the first day that we got there, we got there on Tuesday. We had driven up, Tony and Cassidy and I um, drove up just um, outside of Chattanooga on Monday. We spent the night. And then on Tuesday... Um, just south of Nashville, we met up with Dad and Judy, and they were with Ryan. As I said, Ryan's been gone a few weeks. He was at a music camp up there. Dad and Judy took Ryan to that camp, and they spent a few days in Kentucky. So we all met together, had lunch, and we basically took custody of our son again. And then the four of us drove to Nashville. And the first day we were there, we checked into the hotel, and um, we didn't have any plans that first day. So Ryan had wanted to go to a guitar store, go figure, um, that it's called Grun's Guitars. Uh, it's a famous guitar store there in Nashville. Some of you have heard of it. Most of us probably have not, unless you're into the music scene. But it's very, very well known. And so we did that, and, and um, it was, I mean, it was an impressive store, but it had guitars in there that I was afraid to touch. I mean, they had guitars in there that were worth more than my house is. Uh, those kind of really high-end instruments. 
And so we did that. We were there for, I don't know, it seems like an hour, two hours. And the whole point of the story is Cassie kind of got dragged along. This is one of those things she just has to endure as the younger sister is going to the, uh, to the music stores. And so she was just, she was doing fine, but she was just kind of tolerating it and, and uh, kind of the grin and bear it kind of thing. We're sitting there in the music store. Ryan's off doing his thing. The rest of us are just kind of trying to keep ourselves entertained. And uh, a young man had come in. He wasn't a very big guy, young guy. And I, I don't know why, but, but I kind of caught him out of the corner of my eye. About the same time, Cassie caught him out of the corner of her eye. And Tony was already over in that area. And I started to look at him and stare. And I looked at Cassie and I said, Cassidy, that's Hunter Hayes. Now, some of you, that name probably means nothing. Unless you're a fan, if you're a fan of um, kind of current day country music, you may know the name. A lot of you don't. But Hunter Hayes, I think he's about 23 years old. He's one of these young rising stars in country music. Very talented musician, very talented um, singer. He's going to, he's on tour right now with Lady Annabellum. And again, some of these names might not mean anything to you. Here's what you need to know. He's a celebrity. And Cassidy adores him. In fact, so much so that she and Tony have tickets to his concert in September in Tampa. So, so as soon as we saw him and we realized that's who it was, Cassie went full fangirl. <laughs> Starstruck, shaking kind of thing. And now, now here's the thing. I've run into a few celebrities over the years. Most of us at some point have run into a celebrity here or there. I am always afraid to talk to them. Uh, I don't, I, when, I, when Tony and I went on our honeymoon, I've told this story before, uh, and I'm a big, and always have been a big Cowboys fan. On our honeymoon, on our cruise, Emmett Smith was on the, the boat for the entire week. Okay, so that was a big deal for me. I could never muster up the courage to go talk to him. Because uh, I was afraid if he was rude, that it would kind of ruin it for me. So I never did. And, and I saw him, and he was always polite to people. I never saw him act rude, but I was afraid. So I didn't do that. Why am I telling you that? Because my hesitancy and fear is not embodied in my daughter. <laughs> and she straight up to him. And um, he was incredibly friendly, um, incredibly gracious. He took pictures with Cassie. He took pictures with Ryan. He talked to Tony and I. Then this is the second part of the story. I didn't say this in the second service. He goes out in the parking lot, gets ready to leave. Cassie walks out there. She's talking to her best friend on the phone, Abby. Hunter's out there in the parking lot. She goes full stalker. She goes up to him, hands him her cell phone, and says, will you talk to my best friend? And he did. And he did. So, so she's psycho. Gets that from her mother. Um, but here's, here's why I bring any of that up. As we were talking, as he, he sat and talked to Tony and I for a few minutes, like I said, incredibly gracious and, um, and, and, and outgoing, um, welcoming young man. And, uh, but we were talking, because I was asking him, what are you doing in Nashville? Because he's on tour. And uh, he basically, I said, do you, do you have a little bit of a break, a few days break? And he said, more like a few hours. And what, what we kind of learned in the brief conversation, and I'm reading some of this into it, I'll, I'll be honest there, but you know, they, they do concerts. The, the concerts are usually Thursday nights, Friday nights, Saturday nights, Sunday nights. And then every chance he gets, 
he flies back to Nashville to be home for maybe an afternoon, maybe a night, maybe a couple nights before he has to get back on the road. And I, th- I was thinking about that, and I was just kind of replaying the conversation. I'm thinking, what is it that makes somebody give up part of their time, you know, sacrifice those hours of traveling or air flight just to be home for a couple hours or maybe at most a day or two, except for the fact that there is something important for us, to us, about that place that we call home, that safe, secure, welcoming place that even if we can only be there for a short while, we, we cherish those moments. We cherish that opportunity. Again, most of us know that if you've been away from home for any length of time, you know how much you start to hunger to be in that place that, that we call home. Jesus had that same need. He's human, fully human. That need to find a place that was safe. That need to find a place where he had that kind of connection with others. That, that he had that opportunity to, to recharge and refresh. Some of the very same things we associate with home, but it's, it's in a different place and in a different way than we may have expected it. But it is the same kind of importance that we see in our homecomings when we're away or in a country musician that wants to to get to Nashville even for a few hours to feel that kind of a connection. Jesus had that same kind of a need. And that's what I'm talking about reading the periphery of the story this morning. Because if I was to say to you, where is Jesus from? Where is Jesus' hometown? What would you tell me? Okay, I heard Beth, Bethlehem, a few people said Bethlehem. That's where he was born, so you're kind of on the right track. But he was from, yeah, somebody said Nazareth. That was his home. If you remember the story of, of Jesus' life, born in Bethlehem, and then during his, his infancy, or at least that first year or so, or, or shortly around that time of his life, Joseph um, took Mary and Jesus, and they fled Bethlehem, and they went to where? Egypt, right? They fled to Egypt to avoid, um, to get out of the way of Herod's um, execution of the innocents, slaughter of the innocents, when he killed the children for his own paranoia of what it would mean for this king to be born. So they go to Egypt, and shortly thereafter, we don't know exactly when, but Joseph relocates the family in Nazareth. And Nazareth is where Jesus grew up. Nazareth would be his hometown. He's often described in the Gospels as Jesus of Nazareth or the Nazarene. And, there, and if you remember when, when Philip goes and gets his brother Nathaniel to bring him to Jesus, remember what Nathaniel says? He says, can anything good come from Nazareth? So that is where you would, and I would naturally assume that would be Jesus' hometown. You think that would be the base of operation. That'd be where he'd kind of locate when he needed to disconnect and, and reconnect in different ways. But it wasn't to be. We know from early in the Gospels, Luke chapter 4, that Jesus goes to Nazareth as he's beginning his ministry and he's beginning to itinerate and teach and perform miracles. He goes to Nazareth. He goes to the synagogue. He's part of worship. And in the synagogue, he reads from the scroll of Isaiah and then he finishes with these words, this day in your hearing, these words, this prophecy that he reads from, he says it has been fulfilled. And do you remember how the people reacted? They thought he was crazy, and they tried to kill him. They, they took him out to throw him off a cliff. That largely ended Jesus' deep connection with his hometown of Nazareth. I venture to say that no matter where you call home, 
If you went there and they tried to kill you, you would not be anxious to go back. And that's exactly what it was for Jesus. I say it tongue-in-cheek, but not really. There is another story in the gospel where Jesus does go back and, and teach. And there's, there's um, you know, biblical scholars try to wrestle with, was that a separate story or was it tied to this? And it really doesn't matter. The point is Nazareth no longer becomes that place that Jesus would be um, deeply connected to. And so he's found more often, not in Nazareth, but he's found in, in Capernaum. Capernaum. He's found in, in um, uh, Samaria. Uh, he, he's found in Caesarea. But one place he constantly goes back to, one place that I think was a place of deep connection for him, a place of home, if you will, was Bethany. Was this place where Lazarus and Mary and Martha lived. It was a place where he could let his guard down. He could be off the stage, if you will. You know, when Jesus was tired, when he was weary, when he was drained, because again, he's fully human. There's two things we see Jesus does. One is he withdraws to the wilderness for solitude and prayer. That was very important in the example and the, 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 the rhythm of Jesus' life. But the other thing I believe that he does, reading around the stories, is that he goes to Bethany. In fact, it's interesting that in verse 12 of John 12, in, it says that when the Jews heard that Jesus was in Bethany, you know, they came to see him. They wanted to come see him. They wanted to see Lazarus. But in some of the translations, in some of the paraphrases, it says, like the message, if you read from the message, it says that when, Je- when the people heard Jesus was back in Bethany. Because we see a pattern where he's there from time to time. And I believe it was because, one, uh, Frank Viola, who is an author and a biblical teacher, uh, said that Bethany was Jesus' absolute favorite place to go. Because his best friends were in Bethany. Not just the disciples. The disciples were very close. There was was certainly a, a friendship there, but they were his students. But it was there that Lazarus and and Mary and Martha, they welcomed him. They received him. And I think it was a place where he could just kind of kick his feet up. He didn't have to to teach. There weren't the crowds gathering. There weren't the people demanding miracles. It was a place that he could flourish, that he could recharge, that he could revive. I think that's what home is for us. I think that's, at least for me, when I think of home, I think of that place where I know I can be me and still be loved for it. We were talking yesterday. um, I came up yesterday morning when the volunteers were getting ready and they were in the midst of serving uh, the food pantry ministry and and the hot meals that were being served yesterday. And um, Bert and Kay, we were talking down at the end of the hall, and Bert asked me, he says, where's your home? And my first response was, was it's here in Parish? And I could tell by the response, what he was asking me was, where's your hometown? Kind of like Jesus of Nazareth, where's your of, Chris of? And, and so I, I mentioned, you know, grew up up in Pasco County, up in Hudson. But I was, think, I was reflecting on that conversation. And the reason I didn't immediately track with where, what he was asking me was, for me, home isn't a geographic location. At least not the, the, the best understanding of home. Home is the relationships. So for me, home is wherever Tony and the kids are. Because those are the relationships that, that, that are the most precious to me, that I 
value, and it's the place I can go that I know I'm loved in spite of me. It's the place I can go, and I can be me, and they know me, and they may laugh, but they love me anyway. Because here's the thing, and I've said this before, you don't see all of who I am. I don't let you do that. And that's not because I want to be inauthentic. It's not because I'm trying to hide or be artificial. I, I want to believe that what you see of me is authentic. But there's parts of my personality that I don't necessarily want to reveal because I'm not sure you'd think so highly of me if you saw those parts of me. Because I can be incredibly goofy. I can be very silly. Uh, I, you know, I've, I've got my strengths. I've got my weaknesses. I've got my um, pluses and minuses, those kind of things. And so I try to hide some of those things from you. And here's what I know. You do too. You do too. Because we're not meant, and I don't think we're meant to let everybody into the inner circle. So you come to church, and we talk, and there's things probably about you I don't ever see. That's human nature, and that's okay. But you need a place where you can let those guards down. You need a place, and that place may not be geographic location. It may be relationships. It may be people that God has placed in your life, like Mary and Martha and Lazarus, where you can just be who you are completely and know that you're going to be loved and accepted. Now, understand, let me say very carefully, I'm not equating Jesus with us, because there's parts of our personality that's broken. There's parts of us that are sinful. There's parts of us that fall well short of God's desire for our lives. Jesus didn't have that. But I believe Jesus needed a place where he wasn't expected to be the teacher. He wasn't expected to be the miracle worker. He could be Jesus. He could be our friend. He could be a buddy. He could be a part of the family, if you will. And all those expectations could be laid at the doorstep for a little while. He needed that. Bethany was that place for him. We need that. You need that. Here's the question. Where's your Bethany? Where is it? Where's that place you can be you and you know you will be loved in spite of it? And, and as I said, that may be the relationships. For me, Tony and the kids are part of that. For me, um, my family, dad, my brothers, Brian and David, who I'm incredibly close to, I can be that with them. They can see all of me, and they will laugh at me, and they will mock me, and they will love me anyway. For me, it is uh, Tim and Mark and Mark. Those are the names of my three closest friends in ministry that serve in ministry in Lakeland, in Coral Gables, and in Wellington, Florida. They're three guys that I went to college with, went to seminary with, that we get together two or three times a year. Home is with those guys. Bethany is with those guys. And it may be in Orlando, it may be in Georgia, it may be in South Florida. But it's, I know that I, they know who I am. They see me. And they love me anyway. We need those places. You're not going to have that with everybody. But you need to have that place. That's where Je- It's not a coincidence that Jesus spends his last days before he heads into Jerusalem, into that last week. He spends it in Bethany. Bethany's only a couple miles outside Jerusalem. But he spends it there in the home of his friends. That is significant. We need to have that kind of place in our lives. You need that place in your life. You're created for it. So the question is, where's your Bethany? Now, here's the second question. Here's the second challenge, because we know that our faith is always about not just what we receive, but what do we give? 
How do we share? How do we extend the love of God in our lives? So here's the second part of the question. Who do you create a Bethany for? Who in your life, in your inner circle, and in those who are closest to you, do they know? Do you have people who know that they can be with you and you are going to love them and you're going to accept them and you're going to encourage them regardless? You're going to love them for who they are. Now, now, hear me say, that doesn't mean you approve of everything. But they know in your presence they're going to find love and acceptance, connection. Who are you Bethany for? Because that is equally important. You know, Jesus kept going to Mary and Martha and Lazarus' home because they welcomed him. They provided a place for him. And initially, when I, when I kind of framed this sermon, my question was, how do you create Bethany for Jesus? How do you create a place in your life where Jesus wants to come and be and connect with you? And, and that is certainly the right way to ask the question. But as I started to think about that, I started to think about, the way does, how does that get lived out? How's the practical application of that? If you were saying to me that I create place for Jesus, one of the things that that's going to mean is that you create a place for others. Because Jesus says, when you do it to others, you do it to me. So one of the ways we create space for Jesus to inhabit our relationships, to, to be present in our lives, is the way that we extend that love to others. So who do you do that for? Who do you create that space for? Who do you welcome in and know? Who is it that knows that when they're with you, you're going to love them and receive them and encourage them regardless? That's, that might be the harder question for us. How do we extend that same kind of love? Because that's part of who we're called to be individually in our walk with Jesus. But I'm going to tell you what, that's who we're called to be as a church. I, I love the fact, and, and I'm not quite sure how to frame it and, and how to encapsulate it, the significance of it in a way that may connect with you the way it does me. But I love the line in, in the verses there when it says that as Mary anointed Jesus' feet, the room, the house was filled with the sweet fragrance of the perfume. I love that connection to smell. And it's significant because in John chapter 11, there's also a connection to smell. It's the smell of death. In John chapter 11, Jesus goes to Bethany after Lazarus has died, and he's been laid in the tomb for four days. And he says to those, he says, roll the stone away. And do you remember what they said to him? He smells. He, if you have a King James Version, he stinketh. Okay? He stinketh. It's the smell of death that Jesus overcomes with life. And in John chapter 12, that stench of death is replaced by the sweet fragrance of the aroma of food and fellowship, friendship. That is significant to me. And I believe as the church of Jesus Christ, as the body of Christ, we're called to be the kind of community that when people come into our places of gathering, our worship space, our churches, whatever word we want to use, they smell the sweet fragrance of fellowship, of friendship, of, of connection. And that they can, I, I want people, I want to come into this place and think, this feels like home. This feels like home. And we have to be intentional about that, creating that space where people connect and they feel loved and they feel received and they feel welcomed. That doesn't happen without some intentionality of some work. That's why we talk so much about needing people here to greet 
and to welcome others. But it's not just the responsibility of those who stand at doors. It's our responsibility as a church. I want to share something with you. I wasn't sure I wanted to share this because it's going to sound critical, and in some ways it is critical. But last Sunday, when we were in Tennessee, we had that rare opportunity, Tony and Ryan and Cassidy and I, to, to go to church together. We, we, you know, found some local churches online. We looked at some websites, and we chose a church to go to. And it was a, a treat because I got to go as a nobody. I didn't have to do anything. I didn't have to, you know, I was just there to worship. And so we went to this church. I had an 11 o'clock service. It was a, a modern service, which was very similar to our contemporary service. And I'm going to tell you this. It, it was a room not much bigger than this, about 100 people in the service. So it wasn't incredibly large. The music was good. The preaching was good. I want to tell you the truth. From the moment that we walked in that door to the moment we left, nobody welcomed us. Nobody. There was one moment during worship when the pastor said, stand up and shake hands with people around you, that we shook hands with people. That was the only conversation anyone had with us the entire morning. And we were the four of the last out of the building. We stuck around. Nothing. Nothing. There was no fragrance of, of fellowship. There was no feeling of home. Now, let me be fair. It could have been an odd Sunday. It could have just been one of those days where things and, and some of the outgoing people weren't there. I don't mean to just sound like I'm throwing stones at that church. Because I will tell you this. It's happened here too. I don't think it's the norm. I pray it's not, but I know it's happened here too. And some of you might be thinking, yeah, I came once and nobody said hello to me either. It can't happen. It can't. Because I'll tell you what, honestly, this is just us talking. If we lived in that community, we wouldn't go back to that church. We'd go, we'd go look somewhere else. Because there was no fragrance of fellowship, of welcome, of acceptance. We can't let that happen. We're called to be a welcoming community, and that's an intentional thing. Cassie and I were talking about it after the, the service, and we were kind of sharing our thoughts, and she said, you know, there's this family that comes to our contemporary service, and, um, you know, I don't know who's ever talked to them. And I said to her, have you? You know, not to call her out, but to say, you see it, go say hello. You know, be intentional about that. That's who we're called to be. That's part of creating Bethany, a place like home. That's our challenge. That's who Christ has called us to be. He needed it. He needed it for his life, but he extended it as well. So do we. Where's your Bethany? Where's the place that you connect? But then how do you create that for others? Let that be our challenge. I hope you have an answer for that. If you don't, guess what? You got a homework assignment. Find it. Be it. So that others in their experience with you will say, you know what? There's no place like there. There's no place like that home and what I find when I'm with them. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, thank you that um, you create that for us, that, that you welcome us in. Invite us into your presence always. And you place people in our lives that will love us that way if we We'll keep our eyes open and nurture those relationships to not only receive that kind of love, but to share it, to give it, to exude the fragrance of fellowship and love. May that be the characteristic of who we are as the body of Christ.
We pray in your name. Amen. Jesus says in Revelation chapter 3, I stand at the door and knock. If you open the door to me, I will come in that I may eat with you and you may eat with me. Reminds us of the table fellowship, the connection we have with Jesus through the meal and his willingness to be present with us in our lives. And that's the gift he gives in communion. That's what we remember and celebrate as we prepare to come to his table. We remember that on the night in which he gave himself up for us, that he took bread, gave thanks to God, and he broke it. And he said, this is my body. It is broken for you for the forgiveness of sins. Every time you eat it, do it in remembrance of me. And then Jesus took the cup, and he gave thanks to God, and he gave it to them and said, take and drink, all of you. This is my blood of a new covenant. It is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins every time you drink it. Do it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these God's mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as we proclaim the mystery of faith, which says this, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Let's pray.